As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions Looking at devoiding myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you're going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version I'm never gonna give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up You're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM Your home for community radio Good morning, good morning everybody It's uh, Monday, January 23rd, 2023 And I'm trying to remind myself to say 2023 Because time flies uh, But often people will spend their lives not wanting to about future generations, the future time. Uh, who's going to be president in 20, 2050? Who's going to be dean of the Yale Medical School in 2045? And what doctors will send to your, your, your children and your grandchildren? And we're going to talk about that theme of generational development and gener- generational fulfillment, particularly pertaining to the medical profession. And the, the actual title of the show is Pipeline Pathways. Um, but just wanted to kind of mention that many Many young people uh, have dreams. I mean, we all have dreams, but certainly many young people have dreams someday becoming a medical doctor, but they, they might, for whatever reasons, fail to reach that goal or even fail to enter the health system, maybe because they don't have access to resources or maybe they might have, not have sufficient knowledge about the, the entry-level points to kind of break through the barriers. And there are real barriers in 2023 that minorities have to face. Let, let's, let's face it. Some of these young people, though, fail to also recognize that they have the skills and talents and ability and genius and commit and uh, uh, dreams to succeed at a career in not only just becoming a doctor, but clinical, but the whole variety of the clinical research uh, uh, experience because they've never been exposed to these opportunities. We're blessed this, this morning to have Dr. Darren Lattimore with us. Dr. Lattimore is the first, and I repeat, the first. <laughs> Deputy Dean for, uh, for Diversity and Inclusion at the Yale Medical School and the first Chief Diversity Officer for the Yale School of Medicine. He's going to share with us some of his, really his life experiences, but also the importance of, of the pipeline programs that he's instituted and that he's garnering. And I'll call it Dr. Latham or even the, 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 the freedom train that you're kind of developing and <laughs> um, diversifying this medical field and the pathways these programs opened up in his life. So again, our guests are Dr. Darren Lattimore, uh, Reverend Dr. Leroy, Leroy O. Perry Jr., and Reverend Alvin Clayton. Let me just mention that Dr. Lattimore is, is, is as I mentioned, I guess enjoying saying it. I'm, I'm sorry, Dr. Dean. I just love saying it. The Deputy Dean and Chief Diversity Officer and Associate Professor of Internal Medicine, General Medicine, Title IX Deputy Coordinator and Officer of the Dean, School of Medicine and uh, Discrimination and Harassment Coordinator. And I mention these things because People are sometimes, the, the microaggressions, the macroaggressions, just the, the existence in these various institutions sometimes can, can weigh on folks. So to have a, a person like Dr. Lattimore uh, leading the charge for creating a wholesome environment is so key. As I mentioned, Reverend Dr. Lero O. Perry is with us, pastor of St. Stephen's AME Zion Church, and cultural ambassador of the Yale Clinical Research Program. And Reverend Elvin Clayton is with us, pastor of Walter's Memorial AME Zion Church, and cultural ambassador the Yale Clinical Research Program. Uh, uh, Darren, to, you know, st- start us off. Why did you, is, um, you could have a number of fields given your background, your training, your professional experiences, but why did you decide to go into this area and study of 
diversity and inclusion? Well, I decided because after I, well, as part of my training, unfortunately, I was a victim of microaggressions and flat out racism um, at times. And so my lived experience was definitely that of um, needing mentorship and needing somebody at different points in my own life who I could look up to and talk to about things that were happening. And once I actually finished my training and started my first job at Kaiser Permanente um, as a full-fledged physician, I would have um, medical students and I would have residents who would come rotate with me who, um, off, who often looked like us. And unfortunately, they would tell me about similar stories of the experiences mm. that I had had. Mm. And so in 2008, I actually decided to write a job description at that time was a director of student medical student medical student diversity for UC Davis, of which they actually took me up on it. And I actually became the first director of student diversity at the School of Medicine, University of California, Davis. And that's how I embarked it on really pivoting my career towards creating a more diverse, inclusive environment. And did you say in 2008? That was 2008. That, and I was the first one in that position there. Okay. So you've been a pioneer for, for, for a while. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you, you referenced this a little bit, but I wondered if you wanted to uh, take the opportunity to, to kind of emphasize a little more about why, why is this, with this word diversity in the physician workforce, why is it so important? Oh, it's, it's hugely important. If we look at healthcare outcomes in this nation, even today, 2013, you still see significant healthcare disparities between people who are of color, predominantly Black, African-American, Hispanic, Latinx, and Native Americans, and also different, different Asian groups compared to our white counterparts in multiple different healthcare mm. areas. There is clear data to show that um, people of color are more likely to be um, happy with their healthcare provider if they're concordant, um, race, ethnicity, and language. This emerging data to show that if there's concordance, that you actually get better healthcare outcomes. The data is stronger and deeper on the happiness, satisfaction with the provider, but there's definitely data now saying that the outcomes actually also change too, if you have a doctor that looks like you and speaks the languages that you speak. So oh, yeah. without question, just a second, without mm -hmm. question, it's important that we do something to um, improve the healthcare outcomes. The second reason why it's important that this work is done is if you look at um, our representation in society versus our representation mm. as physicians, again, you see a dis uh, uh, I'm desperate. So African-American Blacks, depending on which survey you look at, between 12 and 14 percent of this nation, we're only 5.4 percent of physicians in the country. Mm -hmm. Hispanics. You know, depending on which survey you look at, between 18 and 20, low 20 percentage of this nation, only 5.8% of physicians. Indigenous folks, about 2.1% of this nation, only 0.3% of physicians. So we have a lot of work to do if um, our physician workforce is going to more reflect um, the communities that they actually serve. And, and uh, Dr. Latimer, you used the word, was it concomit? It was an SAT, SAT word, the concomit, con, con, con something. What, what, is, what did that concordance. mean? Concordance. I'm sorry. Concordance yeah, yeah. Break, break it down. Uh, break uh, down I forgive you my humble apology. <laughs> I, 
Concordance means basically is that the patient and the healthcare provider are of the same race, ethnicity, or um, primary language is assigned. Hmm. And Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, before I kind of bring you in, because I was just kind of curious if people have ever uh, commented to you in your in your in your daily and daily twenty four seven three sixty five walk about the way folks are treated or regarding the medical community. But I wanted to kind of jump back to Dr. Lattimore and just ask him. We we've heard for the last few years this word um, implicit bias, and some people have a different feeling about it. Some people have a, a certain partial knowledge of what that really means. But I just wonder what, I uh, understand you do some training in this area in terms of implicit bias, and you could kind of ex explain that a little bit to us. So implicit bias is the concept that subconsciously, and all of our brains work this way. We, unfortunately, every single one of us has bias. And unfortunately, if we don't slow our brains down, mm. we actually may think that the what we're um, working from is fact, when in all honesty, it is bias. Mm. Those biases are often um, steeped in the stereotypes of this country, which mm. have benefited those who have historically been privileged. And those biases usually are extremely negative about those groups of people who have historically been minoritized, marginalized, or stigmatized in our nation. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. yes, I actually try and do a lot of trainings, workshops across Yale School of Medicine. One, to get people to recognize they have the biases. Two, to actually help them not only understand the biases, but to help them realize that those biases actually lead to actions that harm some and benefit others and show them literature that shows that healthcare professionals have about the same level of bias as the communities from which they grew up mm -hmm. and show them literature that shows that the more bias you have, that some studies have shown that minority patients have more and more dissatisfaction, more bias, less patient satisfaction. And um, say, 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 say that again. I'm sorry. Actually, studies that have shown that even though a doctor may not, again, it's subconscious, I want to be very clear. No, I hope nobody comes to work as a physician saying, I'm going to treat my patient wrong. But those who have on the Harvard Plus Association test, there are studies that show that the more bias they have, meaning more preference for whites over blacks when you actually survey their patient populations to see about patient satisfaction from a communication style, how they feel they're treated, et cetera, et cetera, those doctors who actually show they have the more bias on the Harvard Implicit Association scale have the lower patient satisfaction. So the patient may not know mm -hmm. what they're mm -hmm. reacting to or what's not working, but the clearly patients are picking up on something when they have providers who have higher levels of bias. Mm, mm, mm. So much we can go through. So all of that is mm -hmm. part of the workshop with the hope and goal that it'll move the um, workforce forward in mitigating and really looking at their biases and figuring out how to um, not allow them to interfere in patient care. So important, so important. Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, I just wondered, just so uh, folks won't think that uh, Dr. Lattimore is making making all this up. I mean, I don't think that. I know I know you're, you're a credible person, but uh, just wondered if you've heard any folks in the community uh, comment on how they think they've been treated, think and believe and see that they've been treated and seen in terms of the medical community. Reverend Perry? You know, I I, I, I want to just thank uh, Dr. Lattimore again for, we, we've had an earlier conversation and uh, 
he opened up our eyes and we are we're riding on the same train mm. we're trying to we're trying to rename it from jim crow to the freedom train but we're on the same train and i i had said to him that uh i had a there was a young man who was in his early 40s and he had just made his visit to the doctor and the doctor said oh okay let me let me check your meds do i have to refill them you doing okay all right, eight minutes, he's out the door. He has a friend who has a black doctor and the black doctor is, uh, was his doctor. And he said, my doctor spends 30, 40 minutes with me sometimes. So he went to this doctor and, and, and discovered that he, that, you know, things that, that he had some concern about that his own doctor, primary care doctor wasn't giving him because of, of, um, of, of uh, implicit bias. Um, that he didn't talk to him about getting a, a PSA test or didn't talk to him about, you know, how black people are are affected two times greater than others with regards to prostate cancer. Didn't didn't tell him he needed to be screened and didn't tell him, you know, he needed to exercise or, or look at his weight or his diet. Didn't talk to him about his environment, where he lived and, you know, were there issues that may have affected his children even or his family with regards to asthma. So, I mean, this field is so important. My, my, I guess my concern is it's like everything else. If it's not mandated within our, within our universities, our institutions of higher learning, to at least have these courses where, um, where, where doctors like Dr. Lattimore can, can at least broach them, mm-hmm. then how are we going to change? If you just leave it up to an individual, he, most individuals implicitly think that they're doing a great job. <laughs> and that, and 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 they could care less if one or two pers- two people of color complain to them. That's not right. We need if we're going to fix the system, we have to systemically work at fixing the system, <laughs> and and mandate. You know, if you want to be different, Yale, then mandate courses like this for everyone who's in the medical field that's going to be treating patients in this community. That's our role. That's why we're here. We're here to to support Dr. Lattimore, but we're also here to change the face of medicine. And um, we had said earlier to Dean Brown that we wanted more courses where where black and brown people could be exposed early on to -hmm. medicine and Mm -hmm. to the opportunities uh, with regards to jobs and, and, uh, and the field itself. I mean, I don't wanna go off on reparations, but let me tell you something. If for 300 years, medical schools have denied Black people entry because they were Black. And what they did was they set up three schools in the South, Meharry, Fisk, and Howard, where they said, this, this will handle all of you Black people. Y'all don't have to worry about applying to, to Harvard or to Yale. Y'all got y'all's own school. I mean, come on. We got to get rid of this craziness and, and, and start opening up the door of opportunity. And so one of the ways we thought that Yale could do this would be to have exposure programs for young people, let them get a taste of what it's like, a feel of what it's like. And if we can get them involved and not only get them involved, but open up the door so that they can get inside Yale or Harvard and not be pushed aside, um, I think we can change medicine. Historically, I think we can really have an impact. But unless we push for it, like Fred Douglas says, no struggle, no progress. We really have to work at it. 
And we're going to we're going to drill down, uh, given the remaining minutes of the show, on the various pipeline programs and and what and Dr. Lattimore's experience in that regard, and and the cultural ambassadors. Oh, I want, uh, one other thing, Tom. I want sure. I want Dr. Mm-hmm. Lattimore. This was this was so phenomenal. You got to hear Dr. Lattimore's story. You know, like I, when I tell people I went to Yale and I have a doctorate and I and I grew up in the ghetto, they're like, "Huh? How did you get? <laughs> how did you get out of the hood?" To Harvard. How do you get out of the hood? And Dr. Lattimore's story is just phenomenal. It's like never should have happened. But we in the church know with God all things are possible. Never should have <laughs> That's <happened>. right. <laughs> but he has a phenomenal story of how he he was brought into the light of this of this work that he's doing now. Probably never would have happened for uh, somebody growing up in the ghetto. Where you're willing to kind of he, he's kind of he's kind of laid out the the challenge, <laughs> the bio challenge, and, and Reverend Clayton, I'll be coming back to you after this. But please share a little bit. It's so important in terms of your testimony. So, um, as the Reverend stated, my um, like I said, like I said, my history actually um, paved the way for me to do the work that I did. So. Um, we lived in a, a humble little home that we were renting when my father decided to rob a bank. I was seven years old to support his heroin addiction. At which point, um, after they drug him away and sent him off to prison, we had to move to what we call low income housing. You know, trying to clean it up, but it basically was <laughs> projects of what we call title. I think it was eight in in um, California, and I pretty much lived in government subsidized housing until I left for college. Um, when I was 12 years old, I was the one out there banging on people's doors, begging them to um, prescribe to newspapers. Nobody reads newspapers, so the younger generation wouldn't even know that this job existed. But that was my <laughs> first job at 12. At 13 and 14, during the summer, I was a janitorial aide. I was the one who helped clean up the bathrooms, clean up the rooms. Um, and then at um, six, I'm sorry, 13, I pulled weeds at a golf course. Mm. 14 and 15 in the summer, I actually um, was a janitorial aide. And then at 16, I got my first legitimate job at Wiener Schnitzel. Not many of those around left anymore, but um, it was a fast food that sold um, pathetic hot dogs and tried to call them gourmet um, and hamburgers. Went off to Berkeley as my undergraduate. But before that, when I was in high school, I actually had somebody who sponsored me to go, we called it MESA, Math and Engineering Science Achievement Program, which was basically was our upward bound. I think you guys call it upward bound mm-hmm. here. I went one summer um, when I was in high school. And I mean, I was I had to get up super early because I had to catch the bus. So what we call, we call it BART, which is basically the light rail to get to the school and do that to come back. So it was a super long day, but I loved it. You would have thought mm-hmm. I actually truly was going to college. Mm-hmm. I'm the first person in my immediate family to go to college again. I come from low income. Berkeley is the flagship of schools in California. Like it is the in California. So for me to go to Berkeley for summer and literally convince myself I'm in college really was mind altering. You, we, we talking about getting past that I'm an imposter, I don't belong feeling. I felt absolutely like I belonged by the end of the mm. summer. Mm. And I ended up going to UC Berkeley for undergraduate. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that's coincidental. 
I think that because I was in that pathway program that exposed me to what is possible and allowed me to see myself in those spaces and be comfortable in those spaces, I think it's exactly why I ended up at UC Berkeley to do my undergraduate. Excellent. Wow. That's amazing. Excellent. Amazing. That's amazing. Uh, really, so blessed to have you here on the, on the East wow. Coast. Uh, and we're going to, before we just delve in, uh, Dr. Lattimore, about the pathways, the pipeline and the pipeline pathways and just the the, the navigation experience and just laying, laying out the roadmap for the young people and your involvement in that regard, not just philosophically, but structurally. Uh, R Reverend Clayton, I just wondered also if you wanted to piggyback on any comments you might have heard from, you know, in your daily walk with folks about treatment in the medical community. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Dr. Lattimore, you, you are from a blue collar town, if my memory's correct. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> blue collar is a Tyson <laughs> word. <to get. laughs> and your high school didn't even offer AP courses. Not a single one. And uh, you, you, you did. You had very little support in terms of your dreams. But you are a successful uh, physician today. So, what was the motivating factor? That, that helped you to have this tunnel vision to, to get to where you are uh, today, because so many of our minority people have the same problem today. Could you share with us about that a little bit? So when people, when I was younger, would ask me, well, who's your hero? And only one person comes to mind, in all honesty, and that's my grandfather. Mm. My grandfather comes out of rural Alabama, um, descendants of sharecroppers. He was the youngest, so he was allowed to finish elementary school, but that's as far as he went. And best because he was the youngest, he was allowed to even do that much. And, but my grandfather did not miss a day of work. He took pride in being the first one there. He took pride in no matter how sick he was, he got up, he put on his overalls, and he went into the job. And my grandfather also was a man of great patience and great faith. And if you were to ask me who was my North Star as a kid, who I looked at and wanted to, to be like, it would be my grandfather who go, whose name was literally TJ and last name was Park. Also, it was teachers along the way who actually said, Darren, no matter what life circumstances, you can do this. And I had a few who really took, um, um, took interest in me and encouraging me because like I said, there was, I had a whole lot of reasons to have gone in a very different direction. But I had a few who actually really, truly took um, interest in me and saying, no, Darren, keep moving. And mm -hmm. then that thirdly, that program I told you about, the Mesa program that I told you about, there was a, a person who I don't even know his name paid for me to go to that program out of the kindness of his heart. And my family mm -hmm. didn't have the money, that's for mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> so mm -hmm. there was a man, and I don't even remember how much it was, but no matter how much it was, it was more than we had who literally, I met him one time um, at, um, he was, a, that's all I can remember is he was a certified public accountant and that's all that I remember about the person, but out of the kindness of his heart, 
paid for me to go to this program of which my teacher at the time had told him about me and that there was this program and that I didn't have the money to do it. And so, you know, it's, it's what I say all this to say is I'm still standing on, on shoulders. Mm. I did mm. not do this alone. Mm. You can't get from where I was to where I am alone. I can't get anywhere alone, but mm. you definitely can't get from where I was to where I am alone. And so I, I'm, I'm extraordinarily grateful for all of the people who allowed me to stand on their shoulders to get to where I am, especially mm. my grandfather. You know, Dr. Latimer, I want to circle back to the diversity and equity and inclusion issue, but I want, but since we're on that, the pipeline TikTok tip, talk, talk to us a little bit about the, you, you've been manifesting some structural interventions here uh, locally in terms of pipeline and young people and exposure to the, the, the medical opportunities. Share with us a little bit about, about those endeavors and the specific programs you've been involved with. So I, I can't agree more with Dr. Perry. So when I came in 2017, one of my main goals was to start creating programs for the our young our our younger generation to actually help them see themselves um, as healthcare providers. So one of them we start our youngest one is for rising fifth graders, um, anatomy and um, an art. I'm sorry, art and anatomy science academy. We're blessed to actually partner with um, the Monk um, Foundation mm -hmm. and with, um, I call them uh, Quinnipiac Medical School, but the real mm -hmm. name is. I think it's the, the Netter. Yeah. The Netter Medical School, mm -hmm. I apologize. Um, and we bring the rising fifth graders in over the summer, but I think it's a six week program. They come here one week, they go to Netter one week. They come here one week, they go to Netter one week. And we expose them to science through anatomy. And the Monk Foundation staff, let's say we're working on teaching them about the heart, will then be helping them create illustrations of the heart. And when we do the mm -hmm. lungs, they'll help them create illustrations of the lungs. The goal here is to just simply try and get, the, I'm sorry, and we also get eight to 10 age, and most importantly, culturally appropriate books for each of the students to read during the program. Because really, truly, I am a strong believer that if you're not able to read as an adult, it really, really, really limits opportunities mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. More so than if you can count, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And so thought reading needed to be part of this program. And so our goal is basically in, increase their reading skills, excite them about science, um, and then thirdly, to let them see young adults who look like them, who are professionals. I'm sorry. And I know I attended an event a few years ago where you brought in a, a lot of students to the, the, uh, the med school there in the major auditorium. So the, that was the elementary school I told you about. Then we have the high school program, which mm -hmm. is the health professions recruitment exposure program, which everybody calls HPREP. It's run by our medical students, our SNMA, which is our African-American medical student organization, our LMSA, which is our Hispanic medical student organization. And they bring them in in the fall months and expose them to what a doctor does, what a nurse does, what public health does, actually talks to them about the college application 
and helps them write their first draft of a personal statement um, mm -hmm. for medical school. This is over, um, like I say, in the fall and talking about outcomes. Now, again, I cannot say that just because they came to our program, they made this big difference, but 73% of people who come to our HPES program go to college mm. compared to 54% nationally. And if you are to look at people who look like us, first generation, low income, it's not even 54%. So mm -hmm. our 73% getting moving to college rate, I think, speaks volume. Yes. Four of our students who have come from, and I forgot to say, these are students from New Haven Public School Districts who come through our age prep program have gone to Yale School of Medicine. Mm. 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 Our next, going up another notch, for students who already are undergraduates, we have something called YSEMA, the Yale Summer Enrichment Medical Academy, YSEMA, and it is for local community college students and, and students from HBCUs and students from Hispanic serving. Hmm. The local community college focus is because a higher percentage of minorities started community colleges, a higher percentage of first generation, a higher percentage of low income people started community colleges, not because they're intellectually inferior, but because of life circumstances. And unfortunately, if you look at the community college transfer rate to a four year college, it leaves a great deal to be desired. Hmm. So. Our goal with the community college is, again, to give those students resources to hopefully make sure they end up in a four-year school, make sure they end up in medical school. We, this is a residential, so we bring also bring the students from HBCUs. There's 11 different HBCUs represented this last summer mm -hmm. and Hispanic-serving institutions. And we fully, we give them a stipend. We fly them in. They're in the medical student housing. So again, they can envision themselves mm -hmm. And um, we feed them. We give, teach them upper division science courses, those weirder courses that kind of prevent students from getting into medical school. Mm -hmm. um, we, again, work on what the application of medical school is going to look like. And we um, help them meet many students who look like themselves who are already in medical school. This is a newer program, but... Um, our outcomes of the 23 who have responded to our survey, all 23 have graduated from undergraduate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, if you look at mm -hmm. national outcomes, especially for African-American Black, 100% graduation rate is not even close. Right. It's much closer to about 55, 60%. Mm -hmm. So the fact that all of, the, all of our students who at least have responded to us who went through that program and graduated is up. Three have ma in the master's program. One is in the MD-PhD program. Mm -hmm. Some have done PA, a couple have done dental, a couple have done nursing, and many are in the process of applying to medical school. So again, I am beyond elated with the impact. And then the last one I want to tell you about is our Yale Summer Research Program. So these students are already in medical school. They're first-year medical students at the three historically Black medical schools that um, um, Reverend Perry spoke about. 
and the medical student schools in Puerto Rico. We bring mm. them here for the summer to do research. Mm. Make it crystal clear, the whole point we're bringing them here is to get them excited about thinking about doing their residency here. So mm. those are the people that you often see when you're in, the hosp in our mm -hmm. hospitals here are the residents. So to help try and diversify our residency programs, which hopefully will lead to more diverse faculty. That one we, is really, really too new to, um, to um, have outcomes yet because they're first year students mm -hmm. only mm -hmm. been doing it for a couple of years mm -hmm. now. But the real goal is this to be a pathway into our residency programs and then from residency to faculty. Ooh, so yeah. those are some of the programs that we're doing. Um, H prep was before me, but the rest of them we have started since my arrival in 2017. <laughs> you, you've been you've been busy and, and i have a wonderful team that i work with this is the end I, if you when you hear dare i i i think we 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 because i have a wonderful team of people who mm -hmm. are um helping me to support these programs Darren, where are you located in at the l i'm actually at the school of medicine and the sterling hall of medicine is the building that i'm in uh, 333 mm -hmm. cedar oh okay and, and reverend perry i know dr Lattimore was warming your heart because the the Yale Summer Enrichment Program, the YCCI Yale Summer Enrichment Program, kind of share a little bit about that for people to, to hear that uh, for, for this word progress to be real, we just can't be one, can't be one strategy of multiple strategies over generational fifth grade to graduate school, to med school. So what is the, uh, the, the Yale Summer Enrichment Research Experience? How did that fit into, as you heard Dr. Uh, Lattimore speak? Well, you know, I'm, I'm uh, first of all, there's so much we could talk about. All right. I'm, first of all, I'm trying to figure out how he does all this or uh, what mm -hmm. kind of amazing staff can put all this together. Mm -hmm. we're, we're having troubles with it. Uh, and I want to say to you, Doc, off, off the record here, uh, the president of Livingstone College, HBCU College, is going to be our speaker, our anniversary speaker at St. Stephen's. And when he comes up, I'm going to make sure that he contacts you about this program. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a number of Black doctors come out of Livingstone College, some at Downstate, some, um, I mean, renowned Black doctors. So if, they, if this is the kind of program pipeline that we that we can foster, that that would just be, you know, that make this whole show worth our yes. <laughs> being on today. Yeah. So, Dr. Latimer, so when we when we talked to Tisha Johnson and the dean about the exposure program, she said, "All right, y'all go ahead and start something." We we did a uh, outreach, and I think within one month we had eight hundred students, eight hundred students who applied for a slot that would only hold thirty five. We individually looked at, they could either send in a resume or a video or, you know, uh, a recommendation from a teacher. So those were the basic requirements. And we individually looked at those individuals, their circumstances. We knew we had some late bloomers. We knew we had some people in there who were advanced. And we pulled together and it was an awesome program. We had people from the med school, uh, the dean, IRB. Uh, we had brain surgeons. We had uh, we had um, uh, informatics teachers uh, who came and talked to the students to show the kind of diversity that is impossible within this. Just a phenomenal program. Unfortunately, you know, money got short and the program got even shorter. So 
So then they started another program, an intern program, where they had about 20 interns who, who uh, were on campus and did work with physicians. And, and these interns were phenomenal. They all had a project. Let me just give you an example of three of the projects. One of the projects uh, involved um, reaching out to young people through TikTok, through books, writing their own little books, graphic books. So they drew the graphic hero mm -hmm. so that young people could see it. And then they talked to them about COVID and they talked to them about vaccines. And, and it was just awesome. The next group dealt with um, how, do we, how do we do this in high school? How can we start a national high school society of young people, minority people in particular, but anyone's invited, that will, that will foster the kind of idea that we're talking about now. How do we get into medicine? How do we understand? How do we get the exposure? That was the second group. And the third group, uh, I think, did with... Um, IRB. IRB, yeah. So they worked with the IRB and trying to talk about language and, and um, consent forms and how we can make it more, um, more uh, palatable to people from different, different from from our from where we come from, so it was it was awesome, it was awesome. And I think Jackie and Sunday, they do have the videos and information about both of those things. But I'm hoping now that now that we've got your your coattail, <laughs> that we can really really maybe uh, pull some things together. And um, because I mean I mean. What the situation demands with in, in theology, this is what I say, what the situation demands, the theology gives. And I think that holds true in medicine. What the situation demands right now is for us to come together and to be innovative and yes. from the particular to the general yes. to, to make all of this possible. So, you know, we can't, we can think broadly, but we have to take small steps, precision steps, mindfully to, uh, to be successful. And I think you've done a masterful job. And I take my hat off to you. Indeed. Uh, because, uh, and I'm hoping that people who are watching, that young people who are watching will hear this and know that there is a pipeline and that there are people even in the institution and in the community, whether or not in Upward Bound, because I don't even know if Upward Bound is around anymore, but my brother was in Upward Bound. And like you, my first job, my daddy told me to get out the house and get a job and gave me a shoe shine kit. I stood out in front of the bank. I stood out in front of the, <laughs> all the businesses. And, you know, I didn't make a lot of money, but he was a hard worker and he taught us, you know, a good work ethic. And then I got my second job was a janitor at Woolworths. And it was amazing because um, I worked in the soda count part taking dishes upstairs but the, in the evening I had to mop the floor and, and 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 broom the floor and when I saw my high school classmates come in the shame <laughs> 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 and the embarrassment I would put my mop down look like I was shopping I'd be picking up socks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that job helped me to buy my car a 1967 Mustang fastback so I learned you got to work hard and you got to go beyond the stereotypes and 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 uh, and reach your your potential. So before we move forward, can I just mm -hmm. um, please back on something? Um, and that is um, um, 
the Reverend used late bloomers. I just want to be clear to any young minds out there. We are not looking for people who have the perfect GPA, who've taken mm. all the AP courses. You're going to get in the graduate school. You're going to get in the medical <laughs> school. That's right. That's right. So please don't think that you have to be perfect by any means in your grades or in your life um, to qualify for our programs. Matter of fact, if you're not perfect, if you've had a couple bumps along the way, you're actually exactly who I'm looking for. So please, please apply to the program. And right. Dr. Latimer, on that tip, what's the, is, is there a better way or a general way that folks can kind of, the parent is listening or a student is listening, how they can, you know, find out about the, their, their future opportunities in 2023? Well, they, well the, probably the easiest way is to contact myself, um, first name, dot my last name at yale.edu, or the one who really does the real work, um, Miss Jackson, linda.jackson mm -hmm. at yale.edu. Right. Also can look on our website. The, make sure you're at the Yale School of Medicine website, not the Yale University website, um, diversity office, and you'll be able to find um, all of the programs on there. But make sure you're on the Yale School of Medicine website, not the Yale University one. Right. We have about 10, 10 more minutes, gentlemen. So as the spirit moves us in terms of questions or concerns or testimonies that, that you might like to provide, I'm just wondering, Reverend Clayton, if any thoughts have come to your mind that you'd like to share or or ask for us to discuss. I'm just so thankful that uh, Dr. Lattimore uh, came on today and uh, opened up our minds to all that he's doing and, and shedding hope for people who may not have hope <laughs> to further their education. It, it's a beautiful thing to, to hear all the work uh, that he's doing. And, and I also read somewhere that uh, you, you had some, some problems along the way in terms of uh, uh, discrimination. And, um, and, and, but that didn't seem to bother you in terms of your, your progress moving forward. Can you share a little bit of that with us? Oh yeah, we definitely had issues <laughs> with discrimination along the way. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, this one I can't really give you a real fine answer. I never had a plan B. I never allowed myself to say, if I failed to become a doctor, I will. That I never allowed that. And believe you me, in hindsight, looking at my GPA at Berkeley, I probably should have had a plan B, C, and D. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I didn't. Um, and, and, but again, you know, one thing I will say is that folks who didn't grow up privileged, for us to even, to even get to college, we got some resilience. We got some tenacity or we wouldn't even have gotten that far. So I really believe, and, and again, like I said, my grandfather really, really, help instill an ethic in me of not giving up and working hard and just keep on working. Um, and that somehow, some way it would work out. <laughs> somehow, some way it would work out. Um, so I, again, I can't really give you a good answer other than I never allowed myself to say, if it didn't work out, what would be the plan? And, but I can tell you, and this may sound horrible, 
going back and being poor for the rest of my life was not an option. <laughs> I had experienced <laughs> enough of that to <laughs> know that that for a lifetime was not an option. <laughs> Dr. Latimer, as we kind of, we have about 10 more minutes, the, this uh, DEI, diversity and equity and equity and inclusion phrase that we continue to hear and almost every school, many, so, so many schools have hired people to do that and have some mixed emotions about it. But certainly you are involved with a variety of programs at, at the Yale Complex. In terms of diversity, equity, inclusion, share a little bit, if you would, uh, about some of those programs that you are shepherding and monitoring. And I'll be glad to. So the way I use those terms before I get into specifics, diversity, we're talking about numbers, actually trying to actually have representation that more reflects the communities of which we serve. Equity is about making sure people have equitable, they have the resources they need. And each one of us may need different resources. Each one of us wears a different size shoe. That does not mean that three out of four of us is something wrong with us. Mm -hmm. It means each one of us needs a different size shoe mm -hmm. <laughs> to actually take care of business. And then inclusion is making sure that we have structural programs that create an environment where everybody who uh, feels like they belong and can thrive. So this one, that's how I functionally mm -hmm. use those words. Personally, mm -hmm. I think that the um, equity and inclusion are probably the areas that need the most work because I believe if we have an equitable environment, an inclusive environment, the diversity actually will come. Mm -hmm. You won't have to work so hard to bring in diversity. It will simply flow. If your structures, your systems, systems and your policies are set up to be equitable and inclusive. We... Um, do a, a programming at every level, at the learner level, at the staff level, at the faculty level to actually help increase the diversity and there's multiple different things. From an inclusive perspective, we bring in lots of different speakers um, to help create a more inclusive environment. We work with different departments on trainings that um, may need a little bit of reminding of what inclusion should look like. Um, we also work with diversity champions, which there is mm -hmm. one in each and every one of the medical school departments, who is their goal to help bring the work that we do down to the department level, work very closely with them. Um, so we have a lot of different programs and initiatives to actually advance this work. We have a whole diversity strategic plan um, that outlines different actions, and different tactics and strategies to actually move this work forward. Dr. Latimer, I think, you know, I was in a session with Consuela Wilkins just the other day, and um, she's out at Vanderbilt. And one of the things that she challenged us with was, she said, think of three things you could go to the dean to ask for. One shouldn't be something that costs you anything, but think of three things that you could do. And as I'm talking with you now, here's one of the things I'd, I'd like to suggest that we talk to you about, <laughs> which is a, um, a, a kind of community advisory board or some kind of board where we could work, our, our YCCI cultural ambassadors, our young ambassadors, our, our senior ambassadors, our Hispanic ambassadors could work with you more closely at arriving at some of the um, initiatives that you have and be also able to recommend some ideas to you. Our problem is, you know, reaching people at the point where who has some kind of power to implement 
you can have an idea, but like if you ain't got no money and you don't know nobody, <laughs> your program, your program is on on that Jim Crow slow moving train. <laughs> you know, I would actually love that. I, I mean, I'm very sincere about that. I absolutely would love that because again, I'm coming from the outside. I wasn't born and raised in New Haven. So I don't know the, I mean, the complexities, the intricacies, I don't, you know, nearly in the way that the three of you know, um, and the advisory board would know. And so, and, and, and since really, truly a huge part of my, the whole goal of doing this is to improve the health of the community. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm only going to get so far without actually the community's voice actually saying how to do that. Um, so I would actually welcome, appreciate, and actually, quite frankly, need um, exactly what you're saying. Perfect. Perfect. That's great. That's, that's good news. We say in church, that's good news. <laughs> For both of us, quite frankly. That's right. <laughs> Mutual community benefit, collective benefit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's keep on pushing, folks. We have six, six more six more minutes to kind of share and commune and, and, and lift up our prayers and aspirations. Doctor, Doctor um, Latimer, do you have enough? Is your budget large enough? <laughs> I mean, you, you know, because this is you got a lot going. I don't know. At some point, Yale can always put the put the brakes on, and that's my worry with the Peter Principle idea that when people are doing a good job, somebody says, "Oh, wait a minute, we don't need all that," or you know, when you need more, they're not going to give you the resources to continue the good work that you're doing. So, yeah, this is probably a biased answer, but um, in order to expand, as you as you said, in order to to have pathway programs, or definitely to expand them, takes more money. Um, the our elementary school program it's it's not a high budget, but for our college and undergraduate programs, we give them a stipend. Um, again, if you're trying to bring in students economically disadvantaged during the summer. It, you know, the other option for them is working to make a little bit of money for the next year. Mm -hmm. And so each and every student, there's a real cost to bringing in each and every student at the college and medical school level. Um, what I will say, which is unfortunate, at the, and it's at every level. So I'll work at the highest and work my way down. When I was younger, HRSA put a lot more money into healthcare um, workforce development, a whole lot more money. Matter of fact, I'm sure part of the programs that I benefited from um, as an undergraduate actually were HRSA funded and Center of Excellence funded. Is this a federal program? HRSA? Yeah, it's um, HRSA. Come on, what does HRSA stand for? Oh, health. Health. Yeah. No, no, I'm going to lose it. Actually, I'm going to let you look it up. All right. H-E-R-S-A. H-R-S-A. H-R-S-A, okay. And it right. was basically federal money to develop the healthcare workforce very much with an eye towards increasing minorities who worked in the healthcare workforce. It still exists, just the amount of money is nowhere close. At the state level, the same thing, especially for allied health, you know, all of us aren't gonna be doctors and nurses, but you know, we need techs, we need radiology techs, we need lab techs, we need, and so at the state level, just thinking about the workforce, I mean, the area that is forever growing is healthcare. Mm -hmm. 
So investing more money, at, especially at the high school and community college level, so that um, our young minds, if they choose not to go to college, only 30% of kids choose to go to college. The other 70% need a skill that will lead to a living wage. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is one of them. So more money in preparing our young minds who choose not to go to college to be ready to work in the tech positions in healthcare would actually go a long way for the mm-hmm. state yes. um, in improving the health and improving the economics. I think institutions, all institutions across this country, especially ones that have medical schools, need to be incentivized um, a lot more to have pathway programs that have a positive impact on the community they sit in. Mm-hmm. Many, many, many healthcare, um, um, many institutions, especially medical schools, sit in economically challenged neighborhoods, if not most of them. Um, and 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 all all I think could think a little bit harder on how do we lift up the community that we sit in. Indeed, indeed. We have two minutes, gentlemen, and let's give everybody a chance. Oh, that's for awesome. It. Let me just say that is awesome. I'm writing, I'm writing de- notes. That's yeah. definitely awesome. <laughs> definitely. As you can see, awesome. I think about this. Indeed. And that, that's why it's such a blessing to have you as we... My, my last thing, and then I'll be quiet, is if you happen to be an adult um, um, looking at this, please, please, please encourage our next generation. Mm. They hear enough negative. No, life is not going to be easy. No, it, it may not be the easiest path, but you will do so much good to encourage our young minds. We have some incredible, incredibly innovative and talented kids. They just need a shoulder to stand on, some support, and some recognition. Please help the next generation accomplish their goals. We actually need them. Amen, brother. Well, we could. That, 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 be that's a sermon in itself. Yes. We have yeah, Dr. Dr. Latimer, I, I have 60 more seconds. 60 seconds. Okay. I, <laughs> I, I, would, I would challenge you maybe to think about having um, a young, develop on a young academy. Like, like an academy, like when we had charter schools, a young academy that we could fund and that we could all contribute by being your search engines within the community to bring them to this particular place that 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 embodies the ideas that you're talking about. I would definitely like to explore that more. I like that. Indeed. Gentlemen, thank you so much. So, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. This I'm on board with what I'm giving. Got some ambition. This new edition in the positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working. Open curtains. Haters swerving because they ain't ready for your final version. Ooh. I'm never going to give up, give up. Fall down. I just got to get up, get up. Because yeah. this is my role. Let's camera action, I'm ready to go I'm never gonna give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, hey.